Well, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage, and I must confess, I, I got a little bit carried away. I thought that we were going to be able to get through uh, these four verses, but by the time we were reaching uh, the usual time that we finished, I had only dealt with or uh, a third of what I wanted to uh, deal with. So I chose to pause it there. I thought it was a good place. Two weeks ago, we considered uh, in this two-part sermon uh, that spans two weeks, we considered what it means to be the salt of the earth. What it means that uh, what, Jesus, what does Jesus mean when he calls his disciples, the citizens of the kingdom, to be the salt of the earth? And we looked firstly at at the Old Testament background, because Jesus is not simply throwing a similitude, a, a, a metaphor out uh, of the blue. He's speaking from the richness of the Old Testament. And we saw, didn't we, that salt was uh, something that accompanied all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And it is not inconsequential or a coincidence that Jesus calls the disciples salt right after he tells them that they will be persecuted in the world, that they will be this sacrifice in the world. And we saw not only the Old Testament background, the context, but we saw as well what this uh, image conveys to us, what lessons uh, we find in this image that tell us something about how we are to live, how we are to behave in this world. Primarily, or, or single, or most importantly, we saw that salt is anti antiseptic. It's a preservative. It inhibits decay. And that's very much part of our function in society, to inhibit the decay. Just like uh, food is preserved from becoming putrefied, the presence of the church in a society, in a culture, uh, preserves that culture in some way from complete and utter decay. And that is one of the tasks of the church. This, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I mean when I say this negative message that prevents the world from destroying itself. As if the disciples, the Christians, the citizens of, of the kingdom act and behave like a moral purifier in a world where moral uh, standards are low and would be even lower if the church was not present. And it is not an easy thing. As we all know, if you rub salt on a wound, we, we spoke about this last week, that in many cultures and less, uh, uh, or through the centuries, in fact, uh, in cultures where modern the, the modern medicine is not available, you still use salt water to disinfect a wound. But it's hurtful. As you rub the salty, salty water in the wound, it stings, it burns. And so it is with us. As we rub ourselves against the world, it stings, it burns, but it actually has a preservative effect. But we saw as well, perhaps not in much detail, so I'll, I'll mention it here uh, uh, in this second part, that salt must retain its saltiness. The warning is there given to us by the Lord Jesus that if a salt loses its flavor, it is good for nothing. We must 
preserve our saltiness in this world. Salt loses its function as, it's, as it becomes corrupted. And so it is with us. A Christian, the, the church, the, the disciples lose its saltiness, its flavor, as we become corrupted by impurities of this world. And it is good for nothing but be to, to be trod underfoot. And that was very much what happened with salt that had become impure. You cannot just simply throw salt into any field because as you throw even impure salt into any field in, ancient, in the ancient world, that acts as a herbicide. It, for years, that field will be uh, infertile. So what they would do in, uh, in ancient times was throw it on, on roads, on trodden roads, because in, on those roads, no plants will grow uh, anyway, so it was at least good to be trodden underfoot. And the moral lesson is clear as well, as you, if you think about this. The moral lesson is clear for us. If those that are called to purify the earth, us, brothers and sisters, us as Christians, if, if, us, if those of us who are called to purify the earth are, are in, in ourselves corrupted, and impure, uh, have become tainted, our witness is counterproductive. And I'll say more about this in due time, but if we are not acting as uh, the part that we were called to act, if we're not being obedient, we're actually being counterproductive. We're actually destroying instead of transforming. And I think in this in this. In both of these similitudes that the Lord Jesus uh, speaks of, there is a huge rebuke to us as a church in the 21st century UK. Because yes, there is, the world is guilty of the way, this culture is guilty of the way that they are going. But I, I wonder if we should beat our chests and cover ourselves with, in, in ashes and put on our sackcloths and humble ourselves and say we have failed in our first role. Because as you look to the world, it seems like we are not really salting anything. And I'm not saying it is our fault, I'm not, and, but I, what I'm saying is shouldn't we reprove ourselves just as much as we reprove the world? Shouldn't we perhaps accuse ourselves a little bit of the way and the state that this world is in, that our culture is in. If you if you have a piece of rotting meat in your in your in your home, will you blame the rotting meat for being rotten? You would say, "Well, I forgot to put it in the fridge." In the ancient times, you you would say, "I forgot to put salt on it." It's really the salt that was missing. Shouldn't all the way that this society is cause us not only to look at society and to point a finger and to, and to, uh, and to uh, look horrified uh, piously as if we have no blame to share in this, shouldn't we beat our ourselves and reproach ourselves as well? Because we've, in some way, shape or form, we have failed in accomplishing that for which we were called. 
And the same is true of the light of the world. Our Lord Jesus goes from one similitude, from one metaphor, the metaphor of the salt, to the metaphor of light, to the similitude of light. He says, you are the light of the world. And this goes a step forward. They are not so much uh, the same similitude just expressed in a, in a different uh, a the same message expressed in a, with a different similitude. They're actually the two foundations of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ in, a, in society. It's, it goes beyond, in this second uh, similitude, the Lord Jesus goes beyond the, the, the salt of the earth to show that as the light of the world, we not only have this negative rubbing message but we actually have a positive shining message if if as the salt we are to uh, um, arrest corruption and we are to stop the further corruption of society as the light of the world we are to scatter away the ignorance and point people in the right direction but as we look uh, in the salt to the old testament context this similitude of being the light of the world doesn't show up in a vacuum. Jesus is speaking out of a, a, an abundant uh, treasure uh, trove of, uh, of the Old Testament. And where do we see light if not in the temple? In the same way that salt was seen in the temple courts in the altar of sacrifice, now Jesus moves into the holy, of holy, uh, into the holy place where the, the, the lampstand, the menorah, was there lighting the, in the shadows, bringing light into the darkness. It is an image that is e easier for us to grasp than the salt because Jesus is prophesied often in the Old Testament as a light coming into the world, most importantly in, in the book of Isaiah, a book that Matthew loves to quote and refer back to, the land that shines, uh, the light that shines in, in the darkened lands of the north, in, in Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew already used this, uh, or Matthew already pointed us to this. It shines on those who are in gloom and in darkness. It shines those uh, in the lives of those who are uh, surrounded by darkness. And Jesus is the one who brings that light, the light of life and joy and glory. And Jesus says to us, and this is powerful and deep, Jesus says to you and to me, brother and sister, you are that light. The light that I am, you are that light now. As long as Jesus was in this world, he was the light of the world. But Jesus died. He rose from the, dead, from the dead on the third day. He spent some time with the disciples. And then, 40 days later, he ascended on high. But as he ascends on high, and that's the message of the book of Acts that we've been considering in our morning services. As he ascends on high, he does not stop uh, his work. He sends down his spirit to dwell, to indwell and empower his disciples to continue being the message of Christ. That so much so that we are now that light in the world. Not because we have the light in and of ourselves, but we are reflections 
of, what, of who Christ is in this world. And we shine the light of God in the world. We are like Christ. A light shining in dark places. The world is conceived as this temple. The menorah is there. The church is there. Shining a light. It's, not an, Im it's an image that is throughout the Old Testament. What was Jerusalem to be? When you look at the prophecies of the prophets, when you look at their message, they speak of Jerusalem as a city set on a hill that the nations of the world would come to it, that the nations of the world would come to receive light. Isaiah, right at the beginning of, of the prophecy of Isaiah says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house Notice the language of mountain and the language of Jesus speaking of, of the disciples as a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The, I continue from the prophecy of Isaiah. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall, shall they learn war anymore. What Jesus is saying is that the disciples, the citizens of the kingdom, us, brothers and sisters, we are that new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that was promised, the, the fulfillment of the role of Jerusalem in the Old Testament expectation. Now it's the, no longer the earthly Jer Jerusalem, but it's a Jerusalem from above. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. And we are to shine that light on the mountaintop so that the nations would see it and run to us. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and expectations. The persecuted, the, the, the oppressed disciples of Jesus are these lights shining in the world. And again, there's more. You can go deeper in this. You remember Abraham. Abraham receives a promise. He's old. He's no longer of child, uh, neither his wife, uh, Sarah. They're no longer of childbearing age. But here comes God with this wonderful promise. You will have a son and your descendants will be, will be more than the sands of the seashore. And they will be more than the stars in the sky. And now look at what Jesus is saying about the disciples. He doesn't call us the sand, but he calls us salt. He doesn't call us stars, but he calls us lights in the t on the top of a mountain. It's the same promise, the promise that was made to Abraham. Jesus is saying is fulfilled in my disciples. You are that nation. You are that multitude of a family that was given to Abraham. We are the light of the world. What lessons do we learn from this? Let me just highlight five in quick succession because I know we're pressed for time. And I, but let's, let me highlight six lessons 
Because the fact that the church is the light of the world implies that this world is in darkness. And in fact, it is the language of the Bible that the, there is an empire, a kingdom of darkness that is controlled by the devil, the prince of darkness, and that the people are walking in darkness, and that the works are, of, the, of the people of this world are called the works of darkness. And we need to shine this light. That is the role of the church. So what it means to be a light? Light, first of all, represents truth. It is a symbol for truth. A world that lies in darkness, that lies under the control of the father of lies. And light acts as the truth. We are the truth in this world. Truth is light. Light shines in the darkness and darkness cannot prevail against it. As the church reaches out, as the church stands on top of a mountain shining the light, the lies of this world, the, the lies of the prince of darkness get exposed and truth is seen clearly. His lies and his deceit get dispelled. But secondly, light is also a symbol for purity. We looked at it this morning, didn't we, in our brother's sermon. That so often we want to bring darkness and cover up our sins. But the church shines a light. It, it, it shines a light on the darkness that prevails. There is darkness in this world. There is all manner of impurities. But because of the darkness, no one sees it. And if no one sees it, it's, uh, it's as if it's not there. But here comes the light of the church. And it starts shining upon all of those impurities. Adultery, robbery, murder, wickedness, promiscuity. All of those sinful behaviors. Darkness hides all of it. Kind of like children. When they, when they, they don't want to deal with their, with their parents, they, the young toddlers, they, 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 they cover their eyes. Because if I don't see my father, he probably doesn't see me. But that doesn't work like that. And light comes and it shines. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, darkness has no match for the light of God. And the presence of the church in this world sanctifies it. Number three, light is also a symbol of life. Light is life. A world filled with darkness and death, but light is life. The first thing that God uh, spoke into existence on the first day of creation, let there be light. Why? Because without light, there is no life. I, I, I struggle with whether to use this as a, a, an illustration or not, but it's a wonderful thing. That in light, that because of light, we have life in this world. Some of you know that, and I'll, I'll say this, some of you know that I've set up a, a, a fish tank at home. And one of the wonderful things that you see is the complexity of creation. <laughs> While the tank was sterile, nothing was living there, all was fine. But as soon as I turned up the light of the tank, after a few days you start to see some algae, some green stuff uh, appear. And out of that algae, Celia uh, noticed this first, it, there were some beads of silver things coming out of that algae. 
because the light was shining and, uh, and the algae was uh, photo photosynthesizing, uh, oxygen started to, to be created in those cells and, and then the oxygen goes up in, uh, in the water and goes into the, into the air. And that's what happens throughout all the world. Scientists now say that, that up to 80% of the oxygen that we breathe actually comes from photosynthesis that happens in the oceans. Light is vital to life. Without light, there is no photosynthesis. Without light, there is no oxygen. And without oxygen, none survives. But here comes the light and brings all of this. So is the church. We are the light of the world. We bring the life. We bring life into this world. Without a church in the world, this, this world would, be, would perish in, and die in its sin. But light is also an illuminating, guiding uh, symbol. You go to an airport and all the, those runways, they are filled with lights so that people know where, the, so that the, the pilots know where they're going. And that's what we do as the church, as the light of the world. We guide. He who walks in the light does not stumble, so we shine the light. Fifthly, light is a symbol of alertness. When, whenever there are dangers in the road, I don't know if you notice while you're driving your car, whenever there's a very dangerous turn, a very dangerous curve on the road, something dangerous, they'll, they'll put lights there. Because when you see lights, you become more alert. You see where you're going. And that's us as a church. We alert a, a world going into an abyss. We've shined a light telling them, telling them Pay attention where you're going. Reflect on the path that you're taking. And sixthly and finally, brethren, light is a symbol of warmth. Light is the source of warmth in this world. And without light, we would not endure icy cold winters of low temperatures. So is the church. We make this world, or living in this world, bearable with the warmth of the gospel. So you see, brothers and sisters, when, when the word of God calls us to light, it's telling us that we are to be guides, that we are, are, to, are to serve as warnings. Uh, John uh, J.C. Ryle, I know we got quoted this morning, but I'll quote him this evening as well. He says that true Christians are to be in the world like light. Now it is the property of light to be utterly distinct from darkness. The least spark in a dark room can be seen at once. Of all things created, light is the most useful. It fertilizes, it guides, it cheers. It was the first thing called into being. Without it, the world would be a dark void. Are we true Christians, he asks? Then behold again our position and its responsibilities. It is our responsibility, brothers and sisters, to shine the light. If we are true Christians, we cannot go on idling through this life as if uh, there is nothing uh, for us to do. We have been called and given the greatest of salvations. We need to act like it. If we have grace in our lives, people need to see it. If we have the spirit of Christ in our lives, the fruit must be there. 
Otherwise, you are no light. If there is no fruit, there, there is no spirit. Being a Christian, being a disciple of Christ is more than just uh, coming to church, being baptized, and, and fulfilling a few responsibilities and, and serving the Lord in a, a couple of ministries in church. That is so fallacious. That is so wrong to think like that. We're called to be lights in the world. It's a 24-7, 365 days a year kind of job. And what we're being told is that we are as salt and light, we're being told that we are to be distinct. If it hasn't really crossed you or, or come across to you, mark this, salt is, uh, is distinct uh, evidences, a peculiarity uh, uh, in the world and to be alive in the dark world is to be distinct if salt is to work in this world it needs to be salty if light uh, is to shine in this world it cannot be hidden under a, a, a basket we must ref we must shine we must preserve. And how do we do those things, brothers and sisters? Our Lord Jesus doesn't leave us with no direction. He just doesn't tell us what it is and, uh, and then leaves us to try and figure out what he meant. No, he actually tells us in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Good works. Good works is what we are called to perform if we are to be the salt and the earth. In one sense, being the salt is that negative message that I spoke to, the, that um, preserving message. But then light is that positive message in force. Uh, one retards decay and, uh, and the other acts as a, a positive message that points people in the right direction. One stops the spread of evil and the other promotes the spread of truth and goodness. And we as the people, our God, are to be both. Not just one. If you're just a salt, if you just tell people that they are wrong, you're doing a very lousy job at being a Christian. If you, only, if you only point out the flaws and you never point them in the right direction, you're not really telling them the gospel. You're just telling them the bad news. You need to tell them the whole. It's, a, it's not a seesaw kind of uh, thing. You can be one or you can be the other. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a foundation, two pillars that get built up together if the foundation, if the, if the building is to stand. And Jesus tells us how we do this. Through good works. As we do good works, men will see our good works. And in turn, they will direct their worship to God. They will praise him. Isn't it wonderful that that's exactly what Jesus did in his life. 
He performed miracles. And what we read, as he performed miracles, as he did good works, he, as he, he acted and, and spoke in, in a way that is uh, being salt and being the, uh, the salt of the earth and being the light of the world. What did people do? They were astonished and they praised God because of it. And Jesus says, you are to do exactly the same. In order for us to be a church, and I, I, I truly, brothers and sisters, I hope this comes across. In order for us to be a truly uh, effective church in, in fulfilling the calling that God has given us, we must be doing before we are just uh, saying what we are. There needs to be action before there is just words. Because that is so easy. We can say the right things. How often have we seen people who have the right doctrine, who have the right orthodoxy, who, 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 who seek, uh, who have the right, uh, the, 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 who are orthodox in their head, but then it, they're, they're heretics in their conduct. That they say they are believers in their words, but in their actions they act worse than atheists. If we stand for the right doctrines but live the wrong life, it's really not a good, a good job that we are doing. If we are zealous for church traditions, and trust me, I always need to caveat this. I love church traditions, but if we are zealous for church traditions, and, and yet we, we have n uh, no desire to live a holy life. If we preach but don't live, live what we preach. If, if we demand from others... What we don't practice, we are what the Lord Jesus says, the, the ones who strain a gnat from their soup, but yet joyfully eat the whole camel. Our message needs to be consistent. Our, our action, our, our, our life, brothers and sisters, needs to be consistent with the message that we have. It is the same message, actually. It's not two messages. The message we, we, we proclaim is a message that is seen both in action and in words. You know why? And this is convicting because look at how the church, uh, how the, the world sees the uh, God and Christ and, and then realize that the way that the world sees God and Christ is often if not always, taken from how, they, how the church is acting and behaving. They don't read Bibles in the world. Their conception of God, of the true God, is taken mostly by the way we act and behave. It is tragic. It is tragic. It's truly tragic that this is how we are. That this is how the society is. Brothers and sisters, we need to see ourselves more as salt and light. To see the urgency of this message. I need to see it more. I don't want to stand here and tell you you're doing all of this wrong. It's like I need to see more the urgency of this message. We all need. The church in the UK needs. But, but let's not excuse ourselves uh, with uh, corporate uh, needs. But let's look at ourselves individually. We need to see the urgency of this, of this message.
if you were uh, one of those, I don't know what, what they're called, uh, the people who work in lighthouses. They have one job and one job to do. That's all they have to do. They have to make sure that that light doesn't switch off. And it's a very important responsibility because if, if they don't tend to the light, I know nowadays it's, it's all electronic and probably has a, a million fail-safes. But think of in ancient times where there was just a fire there. That was much more of an uh, uh, on-hands task. They know that that light is so important and they tend to it because if they don't, there are serious consequences. Boats will, will shipwreck themselves. Are we not to do the same thing? Is our responsibility smaller? Is, are the consequences of us failing to shine the light any uh, lesser? They are much greater. And yet we so, so often treat this as if it's nothing. is a rebuke to us all. We are to live holy lives. Lives that are filled with good works. Not to puff up ourselves, but as but to glor that people would see those good works and they would be pushed to consider they would be pushed to come and ask you, why is it that you're so stable? Why is it that you're able to endure the, all this hardship with a smile on your face? Why is it that you're, that, that, that you're not taking all of these kind of uh, things that this world now uses to be able to cope with, with, uh, with all kinds of uh, disappointments in life? Why is it that you don't need all, all of those things that we need to cope with all the disappointments, disappointments that I see in your life. Why is it that you are so different? Why do you stand on these things? People should be able to see our, our, what we do and be asking and be inquiring us. Brothers and sisters, if we don't shine the light, there's no other light to be shown in this world. If we, if we are not shining the light, there is no other light that, that, that is here. But this is not, a, this is not for us to push ourselves, to, to shame ourselves into submission. The reason why it's so hard for us to do this is because we don't see how, how great a privilege we have. Christ is telling you, you are to be me. You're my representative. You're, you're my hands. You're my feet. You're my l l mouth in this world. He's telling us, he's telling you and me that you are myself in this world. You're my representative. We are 
images of Christ. We are to be reflections of Christ. We are to be uh, uh, conformed to his image. He was, he is the light of the world. And he has called us to be that light for him as we reflect him. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing that he has called us to be. It's not a, a duty. It is a duty, but it's not a duty that we, that we have to slavishly follow. Brothers and sisters, if we saw the privilege, it would be the easiest thing we, ha- we, we do. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we consider these things, the only thing we can do, Lord, come confessing that we have failed. We have failed to shine the light. We have failed to be the salt. We have failed to live uh, in, way, in, in, the, in the ways that you have called us to live. And we come yet again, Lord, pleading for your forgiveness, pleading for your spirit, Lord, to help us to grasp the realities that we have just heard. Oh, Lord, if there was something said, Lord, that was not in accordance with your will, Lord, take it away from our memories. Lord, help us to live up to the high expectations that 